Hi, it's Brett Cowell, and this is the Total Life Complete Podcast coming to you from Oak Cliff in Texas. Today I'm here with Kate Siamro. Hello. <laughs> Record store girl, uh, music and film reporter, and Canadian. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Welcome, you. Kate. So something a little bit different today, we're recording a podcast and we're going to stream it live as well. So nothing could possibly go wrong with all of that. No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, video's great. <laughs> That's what I work with, so... Yeah, people are asking, they want to see the, the face behind the voice that they're hearing on the podcast and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, I'm very visual, so I like to see <laughs> what voices are coming out of people. So so hopefully today uh, we're going to talk about things like, well, music and life. I definitely want to try and talk about beauty and romanticism and how that might help make a better world somehow. Yeah. And if we've got if we've got enough time, we might even talk about being a redhead or, or whiskey <laughs> or something like that. So we'll see we'll see what we get up to with all Sounds of that. Sounds good. So the first question I ask all the guests is, how do you introduce yourself at a party when people ask who you are? Oh, who I am. I think that was like the most awkward question ever because usually the first thing people jump to is what they do for a living. And they use it as a way to define themselves automatically. They're just like, oh, I'm a I'm a journalist or I'm an actress or I'm an engineer. And you suddenly have this assumption of who they are. So I always try not to do that and say I'm from Canada because I feel like it's a very easy way out. And then people usually have a decent assumption of Canadians. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, my first impressions are always really awkward, actually, because I, I am really nervous and I'm one of those people who, when I get really nervous, I talk a lot and I become really chatty, uh, which is good. I would prefer to be that way than shutting down socially. And then as people get to know me, I feel like I get quieter <laughs> over time. Or maybe not. That's probably a lie. Probably I'm still chatty. But um, yeah, so I usually go with being Canadian, like where I'm from. Do people notice that you've got a Canadian accent? No, unless I've had a few drinks. Like, uh, I feel like that's a lot with a lot of people with their accents. When I moved to Texas, I was expecting everyone to have these really strong Southern accents. And you don't hear it, but then you go out drinking with them and it's y'all and over yonder and everything like the R's are rougher. And um, being from Toronto, uh, I don't have too heavy of an accent, like some people like from Alberta, but um, I say sorry a lot. And that's usually when I get caught, mm -hmm. someone will come up to me and they're like, sorry, where are you from? You know, and I feel like they're detectives suddenly like catching me in some crime. Um, but yeah, so so usually sorry. Canadian is not a crime yet, is it? Not might, yet, might not yet, not in, eyes, not in my, not that I know of. Like, give it a few years, maybe something will happen in America. <laughs> so, I first met you at Spinster Records down the down the road from where we're recording here in Oak Cliff, and um, so maybe let's start there, and then let's start with with music. And one of the things that you say, um, and I want to come back to for a shy person. There's a lot of stuff on social media uh, about your <laughs> images and videos that you put up for the record store and everything like that. And we'll put some links to that in the, you've even got your own movie and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that yeah. later on too. But you describe yourself as a curator of mm -hmm. music. So let's start there in a, such a big topic as music. What's the role of a curator and why is it important? It's important. So Spinster, we, we treat that record store like a community center as well. Um, we want people to come in and be able to talk about music and kind of feel out the Oak Cliff area. Um, initially, I mean, Spinster's been around three years. We're hitting our third year on the 17th. Um, so initially coming into Oak Cliff, it was still kind of known as a 
bit of a rough area. So um, we kind of like bringing this new crowd in and welcoming them um, to the Oak Cliff area. It's owned by David Grover. Uh, he's from, L- well, he was born in Hawaii, but he's from LA personality wise. <laughs> um, but he's fantastic. He's one of the most optimistic people I've ever met, which I think is why him and I mesh really well together. Um, but for curating, uh, the reason why I voice myself as a curator and in charge of our marketing is because um, the store itself is very handpicked. So we don't just throw a bunch of things on the floor. We're not like, oh, let's just throw these records, no matter what it is, into the bins. We're very picky. We want to make sure that we're putting out records that people are going to look through and be like, oh, my gosh, I want this. Not like, you know, going through like 20 records of Elvis. Like, why do that to someone? (laughs) Just throw out three of those records and kind of go with the flow of what sells and what doesn't. Um, so it is very handpicked for a store. Um, I think it's important in a lot of these shops, actually, how they're curated and aesthetically how they look. This is a very aesthetically pleasing area. A lot of people go into a coffee shop, not, not just because the coffee is good, but because of the atmosphere, because the tables are really comfortable and because they have Wi-Fi or they don't have Wi-Fi or whatever. Um, so that matters a lot. And we try to keep up with that. Other than that, just the atmosphere. I mean, people wise, we have a very eclectic staff. Um, we're all dramatically different. Um, I'm very different from Eileen and Nick, but we all are very sociable. We like talking to people. We like picking their brain. And um, Eileen's more connected to the area. She grew up here. Nick is all technology-based. I, I love hearing him talk about turntables. He talks about them like they're people. Um, and then me, I'm, I'm just very into music, and I'm really into helping people create events there, meeting musicians who really want to just keep pushing forward with their dream. Um, and I've always loved that. I, th- I feel like most of my life's kind of been dedicated to helping people pursue their work and making it bigger and better, you know? People sure are friendly in there as well. I think I've been in a couple of times to when I've only had a short time to to buy records and ended up talking to whoever was there. Yeah. And then, and then left. But I have gone back. Uh, so message to the management: I have gone back and bought some records there. There's kind of like yeah. what's the product there? There's, there's a little bit of community um, imbued in in the place as well, and. Um, just another linkage, um, Dustin Blocker, who was one of the guests on the podcast earlier mm-hmm. on, episode uh, seven, I think it was, got me back into vinyl. You know, he's uh, got the record pressing plant, hand-drawn pressing up there in the suburb of Dallas. And um, I love I, those guys. Yeah, yeah I know yeah. them. Yeah. So there's another, there's a, some nice uh, crossovers between um, between that. And uh, he gave me a few, uh, few albums and I didn't have a turntable at the time. So I went and bought that. And then that led me to uh, <laughs> just down the road from here and uh, yeah. into the world of Spinster Records. It's kind of interesting because um, a lot of people would assume um, being a record store that we would see other record stores as competition, um, which a lot of people do like in a coffee shop. If there's another coffee shop up the street, you're worried about your clientele. Um, but we got the lucky end of the stick because like if someone buys a turntable from us, then they might be buying records from somewhere else and vice versa. So it's kind of this own community that just keeps growing. And uh, I love it because people are getting nostalgic again. And it's and it's kind of uh, bringing t- generations together. You have this older generation that grew up with turntables as just a complete norm. And then you have this younger generation who's so intrigued by the past and they also like the present, but they're like audiophiles and they, they want to hear their music like clean and the best it can be. And um, it really just connects people. And I really love that. I want to talk a little bit more about nostalgia too, because uh, nostalgia is not just looking back at the past. I, I heard a, a definition of nostalgia being um, 
you know, kind of a healing of past wounds or something like that. It's, 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 um, you know, I think nostalgia has got quite a big role in society today in 2017. Um, not just looking back at the past, so there's been the revival of, of vinyl, but but actually playing vinyl is a is a physical experience that you have to be in, intentional and present to do. And and the fact that I have to get up and turn it over yeah. is great because I'm like this. I really hate this. Why can't I just have a playlist? Oh yeah, that's right because that's just letting it wash over me. I'm not actually participating in. A yeah, bit. I mean, um, I I got the pleasure. So um, uh, you're almost a year ago or half a year ago uh i do freelance for the observer so they they know how much i love 80s musicians 80s music and uh, they sent me the interview for adam ant so i got to interview adam ant which was a huge deal for me because um i love his music and was i was in dallas no it was a, it was a phone interview oh, right. which is really intimidating like this uh video podcast because because i i couldn't see his face and when you're interviewing someone and you can't see their face it is so intimidating because you don't know if they're rolling their eyes or you don't know if they're like eh, i'm not really in this question you, you can't read them as well um but during that interview i was asking him if um what he liked about vinyl or records because he was talking about you know his records and and the iconicness of the front of it and he said the tactileness like like feeling it and having something you can grasp to and um i feel that same way about books i've never bought a kindle but i remember kindles blowing up and everyone had one and i just nothing about it seemed intriguing to see this glowing screen because i see a glowing screen on my phone and a computer why would i want to read a book on that um and there's something great about holding a paperback novel and you're just you have it in your hands and um i feel the same a lot about records um where you can hold it and you have it and you own it and you're also giving back to the musician it's not like some download online and a lot of um, companies that have music playing from the internet don't give a lot back to the musician so it really is the best way you can give back to the musician is to buy vinyl yeah is to buy vinyl cassettes even cds any of that i mean their posters and merch as well whenever i go to a show for a band if um they don't have a vinyl they usually have a t-shirt so anything of that sort is always great and it kind of gives back to the musician and it kind of lets them know if they're doing good i mean um I always love watching interviews and Jack White did this really cool interview where he was talking about um, how he couldn't stand going to a show where people don't applaud <laughs> if they like the music, if they're acting too cool to applaud, you know, like I'm just going to hang back, you know, and and that applaud is letting that musician know that they're doing something right. <laughs> and it's the same with um, anything, with any business, especially locally, if you want to keep anything around, you you got to buy it or like look at a way to support it in some way. So someone told me that uh, crowds in Dallas don't dance. No. They, they just applaud at the end. They kind of like nod. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. kind of have this like awkward pigeon nod. <laughs> yeah. I actually well, didn't believe it. And now after seeing it a number of times, I mean, sure, people will cheer out at concerts, but in small bar venues, someone's really working hard on the stage and it almost looks like they're having no impact. And then applause break out at mm-hmm. the end. So that's a strange thing. But just to your point about giving that uh, performance. Reassurance, so, so yeah. Some reassurance that, that something's going on there. Yeah. But I think it's, it's nice also. I think people are getting their head around um, in a world of infinite information and, and content that you can dial up anything. A curation, actually somebody, a human factor in, in actually finding out things that are interesting and not always necessarily the best things, but something that take you to a different place that's not um, somewhere you go every day. 
Yeah, and I feel um, I, I feel like music really kind of transports us too to different areas. I mean, um, I like listening to a lot of psychedelic furs and Echo and the Bunnymen, mm -hmm. and I've always wanted to go to Ireland. And for some reason, in my head, like Ireland, Scotland, that whole area is just like what that music feels like in my brain, and that's why I want to go there. Um, I used to call Dallas the waiting room when I was in high school, um, not because I hated it. And I lived in the suburbs, which is very different from Dallas itself. Um, but because I just felt stuck here because I moved around a lot growing up and um, I couldn't find my right place in Dallas. And everyone I met was always striving to leave Dallas. <laughs> so I felt like it was a waiting room, like when you're at the doctors and you're just kind of waiting to go in. You don't know when you're when your ticket's going to come up and when you're going to be out. And <laughs> which is awful. That's like a horrible thing to call it, especially now since I'm I'm so involved in the city. So how um, long ago was that when it was a waiting room to you? And did you go away? Not that long back? ago. I mean, I've been in Dallas about eight years. I went to high school here. Um, I moved here from Portland, even though I'm from Toronto. I moved around a lot growing up. I'm one of those weird engineer kid transplants that just kind of was everywhere. Um, but when I moved to Texas, it was the biggest culture shock I've ever had because I was moving to the South and Texas is its own country. It, I, I treat it like that. People here have the most state pride I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I love that about them. Uh, but yeah, it took a while to grow on me because it's it's a little intimidating if you're if you're quite liberal and you're from up north and you're moving into Texas. It's you're not used to football being a religion and you're not used to uh, people being so nice. Actually, like people waving at you at the grocery store, you think they want something from you. Um, so it was really intimidating, but it meshed well with me because I've always. I, I would like to consider myself nice, and I always felt kind of more uh, wimpy, like I'm doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I started considering not a waiting room uh, around when I was 20 or 21. I'm 24 now, um, mostly because I started going to the art shows. And the cool thing is uh, the music scene and the art scene and the fashion scene in Dallas, it's pretty close-knit. When you hang around it for a year or two, you start running into the same people who are striving to do great things in it, but it's still small enough where you are running into the same people. Um, and I actually like that. At first, that was kind of irritating because you, you, you don't want to burn any bridges then, and that's kind of intimidating. Like, you don't want to get on anyone's bad side, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to say anything to someone because you know it's going to get around to everyone. Um, so it's, it's more of a matter of now that... Um, I really love staying here. And once I found like my right niche, which was in music, which I've always loved music. And my dad was a musician in the 80s. And I've always grown, I, I was raised around a lot of music, which I really appreciate from my parents. What sort of music were you listening to? New Wave, like lots of New Wave. Um, my dad on road trips was really into Johnny Cash, which is hilarious. So you can imagine a bunch of Canadians in a car driving across the U.S. listening to Johnny Cash. Well, I can imagine that. And is. some Shania Twain, like, embarrassingly enough. Um, I mean, everything. My mom listened to a lot of Black Sabbath, and she listened to a ton of Metallica when I was younger. So we, I did get some metal music in there, Megadeth, all that stuff. And then my dad was a little bit a little bit lighter than my mom, a little bit more into U2 and um, anything new wave. I mean, uh, Depeche Mode, New Order, that was norm. And it was so funny because now like, I, I love that music, it's my favorite. But when I was a teenager, I was a little confused because I thought it was cool and I thought I was lame for liking my parents' music. Mm -hmm. And all my friends uh, were going through that emo phase, that beautiful 
period between the 2003 to like 2009. Right, right. Um, and I, I always felt kind of out of the loop because I was listening to a lot of my parents' stuff. And now I feel cool. <laughs> now, now I feel a little bit better. I'm like, oh, cool. I've always listened to this music and I've always loved it. And I have friends now discovering it, which is really interesting. Um, so it lasts. So I think that's why it's the best music is just because, you know, I, I'm older now and it's lasted me my entire life. Um, I mean, my favorite bands, that would be hard to pick. But the first one I had to myself, because you're on your parents' music for a really long time, uh, was the White Stripes. And I lived in Michigan and they were emerging from Detroit and they were on college radio. They were all over the place. And I just remember obsessing over them. And I was like, I'm only going to wear white, black and red. And uh, yeah, uh -huh. when I, uh, yeah, and I still kind of <laughs> like that, weirdly enough. Um, I think maybe it did cross over into my 20s. Um, but yeah, so uh, that was like the first thing I had to myself. But yeah. Music matters. I go on tangents. <laughs> I think I got away from the main question. So, what well, Australia has great music too. Like everything in excess is like up there for me. Uh, I remember being younger, listening to the Vines. Um, I like Jet a lot, even though they take a lot from Iggy Pop. But you know, they're all right. So, I mean, there's so much good music out there. Uh, there's just too much. And now we can you can make music anywhere, which is why I think people shouldn't quite leave Dallas to pursue music. You get a lot of musicians here, and they feel like they've like tabbed out. You know, kind of like oh, I got as high as I could in Dallas. I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to move to New York City. Um, I feel like they should bring it back here. Like, why not? Why not be a big fish in a small pond? And why not, you know, grow, make the city grow? Um, which Leon Bridges has done really well and Eric Badu. And so um, I hope that keeps happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that people know Eric Badu is from Dallas. Or really? Everyone Dallas? in Dallas knows. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I think you hit on a good point, which has come up on the show before, which is, you know, should you is the height of your art and your career to to grow up here and go elsewhere to one of the other cities you mentioned LA or New York or, or internationally somewhere or is it to stay here and the, the certain uh, pros and cons I guess of staying in Dallas one being the the ability to connect with so many different people and be part of something yeah I mean um I found my place here um it is definitely an affordable city even though um it's getting more expensive you, you're seeing this dramatic increase in rent and ev all these areas are becoming very gentrified and changing really fast um but it's a cheaper city than la or new york and i mean if you really want to be international when you want to live somewhere where you can afford to go other places i don't know that's always been an attractive point that's why i've stayed then we talked a little bit about travel the first time I met you and you'd, um, did you spend some time in France? Yes. I, uh, I took off to France when I was 19. I had a good friend there named Sasha de Cleu. Uh, her whole family, her mom is uh, the accountant for Dior, which I did not know when I was going there. So I had a very, I, I thought I was going to be having this very bohemian experience, but it was quite luxurious. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I stayed with her and then um, I met an Australian and I'm a romantic and I thought he was the greatest thing. So I was like, where's he going back to Australia? I'll go there next. So he asked me, I didn't follow him to Australia. Um, he asked me if I wanted to go uh, back with him. So I came back to Texas, saved up, worked my butt off and took a flight to Australia and was there and intended to stay there. And then uh, things fizzled out, you know, people, when you're on vacation, when you're like on holiday and you're on vacation and you're experiencing this like glamorous lifestyle away from your real life, 
and then you get back in your real life and you go to someone else's life that you met, it's completely different. And uh, so that was a beautiful lesson at 19. Um, so yeah, that's what took me there. But um, I've always like, I'm not usually super into mottos or anything, but I've always gone with my gut. So, and it's been good. Like I'm very happy with everything in my life, but I always go with my gut. Like if I don't feel right about someone, I don't go with it. If I, if I want to travel somewhere, my, my gut's there, even if it's a weird place, I'll, I'll go there and I'll make it happen just because I feel like something's there. And so far it's been fantastic. I've always met cool people and done cool things. How did you get into reporting um, music and film? Oh, weirdly. Uh, well, when I was in when I was in high school, I did like the morning announcements, and uh, so I did our like little TV show for the high school, and I did yearbook, and I was really into photography, so I really wanted to do photography, and I was supposed to go to Mizzou for journalism. And then I got my scholarship revoked because they found out I was Canadian. <laughs> and it was in uh, scholarships are mostly for American citizens. But I, I don't think they think about Canada like being a problem. Um, so then I started looking into international student scholarships and everything was aimed towards Asia or Mexico. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to find a Canadian scholarship. Um, and I was going to go back to Toronto because it's cheaper uh, to go to school. But um, I just kind of held on to that dream and I started networking and meeting people who work in Dallas. And I started writing for this little zine called Throat, which uh, was capturing kind of underground music, underground art, um, everything that the observer was missing. And um, there's actually another publication called Central Track in Dallas. And they're really good at covering like kind of under the tracks, like stuff that's going on in Dallas that isn't usually like front of the paper news. Was the zine a, a physical? Uh, yeah, it was physical copies. You could pick it up. Um, it was mostly online. Um, but that kind of got me back into writing again. And meanwhile, in school, I was going to community college. Um, I was taking marketing because I always thought marketing was really cool and I was always interested in advertisement and how people um, advertise themselves or how, how people kind of get into people's brains and stuff. I thought the psychology was really interesting. Um, but yeah, so I started writing and it was all just through passion and having the guts to ask. You know, I, I think a lot of people get scared to ask people to do things or ask people, hey, can I tag along or hey, can I do this? You know, or um, I have this idea and I want to go with this. And Dallas is really flexible. It's still a competitive market. I don't want to downplay it at all. But um, if you're really confident enough and you and you can give what you're offering, then you have it good. Like you'll meet the right people and you can make it happen. So really just putting myself out there anytime I met someone and thought they were interesting and wanted to do something or if I had a story in my lap like something interesting, I'd go with it. Um, and then it turned into um, hosting, which I hosted Index Festival, um, which was really cool, uh, intimidating, because it was video, it was first time doing video interviews, and I use my hands a lot, and I try not to as much. But yeah, so I mean, getting into reporting was mainly that, and I, I read a lot, and I've always obsessed over interviews. It's, it's really just a passion. I, I think it's interesting to capture people's stories. I am totally secretly that lady with the scrapbook. I don't have scrapbooks, but I'm sure I will in the future. I just really love, I'm just very nostalgic. I work at a record store, so I love the past and I like holding on to it and I like keeping memories and um, I'm all about that. 
I'm glad you mentioned scrapbooks because I want to talk about Tumblr a little bit as well. (laughs) (laughs) Your Tumblr, I think, description says, this is a place for things that move me. Yeah. I think one of the things missing in the world of efficiency and convenience and comfort is actually things that truly move you, that actually is feeling something, um, you know, and you can have all the storytelling and special effects in in, in the world, but unless you feel something, then then life's kind of not worth living. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'm all about that. I, I could spend hours online just looking at things that I find that are beautiful or funny, and, it, and it's all for me, which I like a lot. Sometimes it's nice to disconnect through it, um, especially visually in film. I mean, I love watching movies that make me really emotional and cry. And I've, I'm now like on a recently, uh, my boyfriend and I are on this World War II kick. And we're just watching tons of World War II films. And I'm just There's like, quite a few out there, yeah, so and I'm just like watching Band of Brothers and in my car crying to work, you know, and I, I really enjoy that. I, I like that. Um, I like feeling, you know, I, I feel like people are uh, in- intimidated by emotions and experiencing them. And uh, I love getting that through art. Um, I started my Tumblr as an angsty teenager, like when I was like 17, because I needed an outlet where I didn't feel embarrassed to talk about my emotions. Um, or I needed a place to make lists because no one wanted to listen to me list things off as my top five, whatever. Um, so that's how I did it. And I've kept it and it, it became less of me writing original pieces, which I kind of hate myself for because I wish I did more of my own writing for me um I write a lot about other people or for other people um but yeah no I so I still keep it though because I'll have a kick where I'm obsessed with Francois Hardy for like a week and I can't get over what she's wearing and it just makes me happy to see her in it and then next thing I know I'm wearing these oversized turtlenecks or something and um I think it's good for people I think um uh, I went into uh, my boyfriend's print shop one day and there's this girl he works with named uh, Kat Freeman and she had this huge wall of pictures and all of them were um, inspirational pieces to her and what she's making and all of it varied from like David Bowie and these outfits to these you know cats because she loves cats and I was looking at this wall and it was so cool because it was like I had this like hallway into her brain and what she's making and why and why she's moved to make those things um when i meet musicians i often like to ask them what who inspires their music not that they're trying to mimic them that's a really mimicry is totally different than feeling inspired to write something and um yeah so i mean I think it's good for people. I think people need some outlet to put pieces that inspire them, whatever it may be. I mean, if someone wanted to make a Tumblr full of World War II propaganda and all this like, you know, cr- crazy gore or something, like if that's what, you know, gets them in some mood to create something or do stuff with their lives, then that's great. You know, it's a good thing to, you know, reflect. It makes me think a little bit about th- the thing I'm currently sick about at the moment is uh is these kind of one-line inspirational quotes coming in social media. So I'm, I'm kind mm-hmm. of gradually trying to unfollow, even though I've been guilty of doing that, having written a self-help book <laughs> and publishing, um, you know, such pictures, inspirational yeah. pictures and quotes. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about the contrast between that and and curating something that, that is truly meaningful to you. I'm really trying to make an effort not to just be getting a feed of things washing over me all the time and to take a little bit more effort to... I curate those things and to look at things that are important. Yeah, to, to absorb to it. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like 
we're in such a fast paced society. Even if, even if you're at home, everything's still fast paced. Like whatever you're getting online, information's fast paced, uh, knowing what's going on in your friend's life. Like it is, and it's very tiring. Um, but uh, I think it's kind of good to sit down and just absorb things sometimes and just think about them. I'm horrible at being alone and I, I blame it on being an extrovert. I'm just very naturally get all my energy from people and I, and I hope and intend not to suck energy out of them while doing it. Uh, I don't want to be an energy vampire. Um, but I feel like um, it's hard for me to be alone, but sometimes I have to force myself to be alone just so I can think about things I'm doing in my life and not use people as a distraction for what I really want. And I mean, and life is, I, I always um, I always loved my grandma because when I was younger, people were always asking me uh, what I wanted to be when I grow up. Like, do you, it, it always kind of enforcing their own ideas. You should be a lawyer or a doctor, you know? And uh, I loved my grandma because she was like, she was playing softball, but she was also an art curator. She was a painter, a poet. She modeled. She just she did everything that she ever felt like doing when she had the inkling to do so. And I found that really inspiring when I was younger, where I was like, why? Um, like, like you were saying, when you're at a party and someone asks you who you are, like, why limit yourself to one job? You know, like, why limit yourself to one thing? Like, you know, oh, I'm an accountant. Like, you're, you could be so much more than an accountant, you know? Like, you could be so many different things um and i i have such a romantic idea about that in life like I, I romanticize people having these interesting lives even if i meet someone and they're very very like simple with me i like always exaggerate who they are maybe behind closed doors um but yeah so i i feel like um it's good to have that i don't know i feel like it's good to absorb who you are and just kind of beam it out at people so, and I do that spinster when I meet people and they come in, I'm just like, um, and I never mean it in a conceited way. I feel like it could come off that way. Um, but if I ever talk about myself, it's because I'm in hope that they will respond with how they feel. I, I want that relation. I want them to be like on my enthusiastic level or I want them debating me on how I feel and why it's wrong because <laughs> I would enjoy that too. So uh, it's more to get a, a response. I think it's hard to get a response from somebody if you never um, don't have a point of view and you're just trying to be like everybody else and don't ever want to be controversial <laughs> or do yeah. anything. It's good to be controversial. Well, I think you have to be sometime. I mean, there's a kind of creative abrasion, you know, it's part of the creativity process to have some friction um, in life, I think, to, to develop and, and to grow and have an interesting life. Well, there's so many places to take like I, I love um and I, I I kind of my mom gets mad at me a lot I use social media a lot as an outlet for my own point of views I get in a lot of arguments online that I sometimes regret or they're just a waste of time and sometimes I have to stop and remember you know like I have my own opinion and someone else has their own opinion and there's a reason behind that like we were raised in completely different situations we have different experiences on whatever it is they might be religious about something I might not be and but they feel that way and I feel my way and um I just have to you just have to accept it it's just how it is but it's good that they feel it like I rather have them like that than indifferent like nothing's worse than meeting someone and they just had no opinion on something or they don't care and and I, I don't I never thought it was really cool to act like you don't care about something I think I think Caring about things gives you purpose, like it gives life purpose.
Has anyone ever convinced anyone of anything online? That's one thing that I, <laughs> I'm interested. No, in. no, never. No, it's and now and now it's like a fact check thing. Like I always like it though when people um, post, uh, especially politically, if they post something online and um, they have uh, someone else uh, post something, but it's it's a very biased like article about like from a website. Like maybe it's like super left or something you know and it's everything on there is about that so it's not factually correct you know um but i mean it's good to have it though my views have been changed on a lot of things through people um and maybe uh i'm a little bit more open-minded like um i like being in a gray space like not indifferent but in a gray space where i can see both sides and have my own personal view that doesn't really take a side but is my own view nonetheless I think that's a great perspective on life and um, you know, we've t- talked about it on the show before as well about the everyone feels the need to pick sides at the moment, which is, I don't think that's the way to live no, life. <laughs> no, it's intimidating, um, especially politically. I don't want to get into politics, but um, yeah, I think people shouldn't have to feel um, loyalty to a certain side or a certain label that they might have stuck themselves with. Um, I feel like it's, there's more to that. I mean, people are debating gun laws, abortion, like all sorts of stuff, but it's, it's not so black and white. Like, um, a person doesn't have to be a monster cause they have a certain view, you know, like there's so much more that goes into it. And, um, it, it kind of sucks that we put people in boxes. Um, if we wanted to go back to music, cause it's a little bit more peaceful to talk about. Um, same thing goes with genre. No, let's talk about this. Let's just talk about politics. Um, <laughs> that's what's interesting. Um, but it, it I, I hate putting people in genre boxes. Nothing drives me nuts than when people ask me about the genre of a band. Cause I feel really bad for the band. Cause they might be t- pulling interest from the ventures and then they might like some punk band and um, to just throw them in punk or especially with rap that really irritates me the rap because rap has so many subgenres now and you really just have to kind of sum up their music by different things than just putting them in a box and it goes the same for people you can't put people in boxes I remember when I was a, a DJ in Sydney and um, used to be really reading all the music magazines from around the world and and just the amount of there was a a genre arms race, you know, it wasn't just kind of house music or <laughs> electronic yeah. music. There was like, and now I don't even know, I've, I've lost track, there's like thousands <laughs> and, and maybe it will just kind of overwhelm itself and people will just go, no, this is just music. What's well, tight, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about what you want to be when you grow up. You started saying there and you said you were inspired by your grandma. Um, I, I ask people of all different ages this, that question on the show anyway, but since you started what what is it I oh mean, i have like a long list i'm like the bucket list person i really have a bucket list i just have a thing and some of it's like even ridiculous stuff like i, I just want to eat sushi in tokyo one day that's on my list of things to do before i die yeah. um i i would never want to have like i said like a label of something i am near the end of my death but uh i mean i would never uh i never want to be a model when i was younger i always wanted to be an actress or I wanted to write for the Rolling Stone. Um, I mean, gosh, there's so much stuff I want to be. It's 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 overwhelming. Um, 
I do love working at a record store. I did glamorize that when I was in high school. Like the idea, I remember watching High Fidelity and wanting to be John Cusack. I didn't want to be uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. I wanted to be John Cusack in it. I was like, man, I want to be that grumpy guy. I'm not a guy, but I would have loved to be John Cusack in that movie and just, you know, hang out with like Jack Black and debate music all day. And that's what I do now. So I'm actually living one of my dreams I had when I was younger. And I don't know how long I'll love it. I love it right now. Who knows? Give it like five years. Maybe I'll be pulling my hair out and being like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. But um, I mean, the staff I work with makes it really good. David's great. Um, It's like a family more. I treat it like a family business, which I haven't worked in before. Um, But yeah, I would like to keep with that. I've thought about DJing before um, just because I do work around records and um, I feel like uh, DJs are not in short supply. Don't want to say that. There's a lot of DJs in Dallas, a lot of good ones. Um, but it would be kind of fun to do because I enjoy that. Um, writing's a huge thing, but it comes in spurts. Like any artist, um, like musicians have writer's block for a year of writing music. I get that a lot with writing about people. There's just times where um, I'll open my laptop and I have a story I need to write and it's just super intimidating. I just want to close it and go to bed and not think about it. Um, I don't know. I used to um, also entertain the idea of being a flight attendant. I don't know. <laughs> There's all these glamorous uh, jobs. The the most glamorous job to me, I know it sounds the weirdest thing, is being a teacher. I, I think teachers are the most interesting people. Like when they when I have teachers come into the record store and they're like, oh, I'm an elementary school teacher or I teach 11th grade. I'm so enthralled by it. I'm like, what are you teaching them? What book are you on? Like, uh, you know, because I, I feel like that's what moved me the most when I was younger, uh, especially in elementary school. And I wanted to be a teacher in elementary school for a bit. Um, and they don't get paid enough. And they're really just doing it out of passion. Like no one's doing, no one's a teacher because they want to be rich. People are really teachers because they love teaching and they love kids. And I thought that's the coolest job. So maybe I would not be shocked to see me when I'm 50 and I would not be surprised if I'm like some elementary school teacher, but I also wouldn't be surprised if I'm some really weird old actress or something. So, so it's either like I could go one way or the other. Um, yeah. So. Maybe there's people listening going, oh, she's 24 and she wants to do those things. Oh yeah. I remember when I was young, <laughs> but you know, I mean, seriously, I think if you haven't listened to all the episodes, then go through the people of all ages. Um, starting a new chapter in their life. And I think if you're going to start a new chapter, why not do something you actually care about and and do something that you're driven towards and then hope that that will lead to its logical conclusion and interest in teaching could lead on to something else, you know. Yeah. And then I think to have always sat there and just said, oh, because I'm a certain age or because I've got this job title that I can never do and hey, my life is over now. Yeah, as long as you can make a living off it. I mean, the... I, I was really intimidated to tell my dad what I wanted to do because he's a uh, Eastern European and he's a businessman and he's very logical and by the book. And uh, I was really intimidated to tell him, hey, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be an engineer. Um, I want to do something creative. Like that really freaked me out to kind of have that conversation with him when I was in high school. And I loved his response because he just looked at me and he's like, well, do it. Just make make sure you make money out of it. Like, just make sure you find something in it where you can take care of yourself and you're not depending on anyone. Like, make sure you're independent. You don't have to depend on anyone and you're not, like, a housewife or anything. Like, make sure you... And not the housewife's a bad thing. That's, you know, if you have kids, that's awesome. Um, but make sure you can live, you know? 
And I love that response because it, it took this huge weight off me because I feel like a lot of people do what they do because they feel this pressure, whether it be by family or the system of how it is. You know, just the pressure to live up to a title or be a provider or something of that sort. Um, people should do things that make them happy. Like when they wake up in the morning, they're not like, damn it, I have to go to work, you know? Like you should love going to work. You should go to bed thinking, oh, what can I do there tomorrow, you know? Oh, this is advice around to you know, follow your passions and all these sort of things. But I think that there's something more to that. There's more to, to complete that advice. Um, it, it's not just following your passion. It's actually what happens after that. It's a process. So this is an experiment in trying something different. It's a podcast with also video streaming as well. Who'd have thought? Lovely. So I want to talk about aesthetics. And, and you know, aesthetics and a, a visual identity is something just sprung into my mind, obviously, when I started after I yeah. met you. And one of the cool things about this podcast, you just meet people and don't know anything about them at all and have a talk to them and go, oh, yeah, there might be an interesting person on the podcast. And then, you know, I see your Tumblr and Instagram and you've got a, a real, you know, you, met, you talked about the white stripes before. There's, there's a real visual identity. <laughs> Is that something that you're, you're striving, for, aiming for and yeah. cultivating? I mean, I've always dress like I dress because I enjoy dressing the way I dress. Um, but uh, initially with Instagram, so um, going into Instagram, I was very against it at first because I, I felt kind of, um, I don't know if it was my way getting back at the norms, but I was like, oh, I'm not going to post my life online. That sounds really intrusive. And then I had a few chick friends who were very pretty and they were posting stuff on Instagram, pictures of themselves and their coffee in the morning or whatever. And um, they found communities that related to them through it. Um, so I wasn't, I don't know, like I said, with scrapbooks, I do like to keep memories. So initially getting with Instagram, it was to keep memories and to have these moments online, um, but also to find communities outside Dallas. Cause I, like I said earlier, it f feels like a waiting room sometimes. And you want to meet people who maybe see the world you do the way you do and, um, have the same perspective. Cause when you look at someone's Instagram, in a sense, you're kind of seeing their life through their eyes or how they want to be perceived through their eyes, you know? It's really interesting. Um, as for uh, Spinster, though, like making video content, um, that happened in a really weird way. I got really bored at work one day. I don't want to say bored. David would hate me if I said bored. But I was having this day at work where I was like, how can I bring more people in here? And then I was like, all I have to give is myself, like kind of joking in my head. And I was like, you know, and it was a slow day. No one came in all day. I was like, I'm just going to make a video and talk to myself because I feel crazy right now. And I'm just going to post it online. And maybe someone will see me and want to come in and talk about music with me. And then I kept doing it. And it was cool because I, I started meeting people online who love records and love music, who work for Golden Voice, who work for companies in the record label industry which is insane and um and i and i don't know if it's because like me being a girl <laughs> like like a young chick um i don't know if that that probably has its own appeal in its own weird way um but it was it, it was kind of a cool way to just find this like little outlet for me you know through my shop um that helps the store it helps the store connect outward with all these other stores i've gotten to talk to people who live in sweden who own record stores in sweden 
And uh, I got to work for Coachella's record store whenever they had their festival um, because I met this gentleman named Alex Rodriguez, who's a vinyl collector and in charge of their curating of their store. um, And he hired me on. Um, So it's been really cool, like using social media to connect, even though it is such an isolating thing to do in a weird way because you're because I'm alone whenever I'm trying to connect. You know, I I never make those videos at Spinster when someone's in the shop and uh, anyone I work with can tell you I'm I'm really weird if someone else is there. Like David has been working with me and he's like, aren't you going to make one of your videos? You always make your videos. And I'm like, once you leave, like I I, I get really um, nervous, you know, just um, kind of uh, talking to myself, you know, like that. Um, but it's, it's good marketing. It is a good marketing way to do it. And, um, I like to do it sincerely. I I would never want to do it just to make money off it. I mean, um, there's so many ways women can make money off video, like in weird ways nowadays. Like I was telling you earlier, Twitch is a thing. Like I could easily probably get a Twitch account. I don't even know what that is. That's so Twitch is this uh, website, um, that helps people watch gamers play games. You really are webcamming yourself playing video games and you have a shot of the video game you're playing. It's for the whole video game, anyone who's into that. Um, But there's definitely girls I know who are gorgeous and maybe just play video games in their underwear and get paid thousands of dollars and they treat it like a job. Um, I would never do that. Uh, Not that that's like, that's their own thing, but um, I, I try to do things sincerely. Um, and so with Spinster, the whole video content is me and that is me. So I, like, I'm kind of like that in person and I'm very peppy. Um, I sometimes, I, I don't know, my, my, my staff makes fun of me a bit whenever we hang out for it, but, uh, they now do it too. They have videos on there as well. Cause they want to have that connection. <laughs> they all want to connect. I mean, that's what we want to do. And, um, sometimes it does get slow in there and I do want people to come in. I never make a video if it's busy. Like if we have people in the store all day, like don't make one at all. I just hang out and talk to people cause they're there, you know? I don't want to seem disconnected. It's like sitting with someone at dinner and they're on their phone constantly. Uh. It's the same thing in business. And I, and I feel bad whenever someone's in the shop, if I'm on my phone, like setting up an event, you know, like I do that a lot as well. I always feel guilty. Like if I have my phone out, even at work and I'm setting up stuff for my work. Um, but yeah, I mean, It's a good way to connect. Um, I feel because uh, I've always been a romantic. I've always been a hopeless romantic. And I've always uh, been very sensual about life. And I love sensual things. And I love being a woman. And I embrace that a lot. Um, I feel like uh, maybe that channels really interestingly through Instagram and through video. um, Because that's who I am. And that's what goes out. um, Like many other women in the history of film, you know. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, if I was a really uh, rough person and I was really negative, I think that would channel out too. I don't think I could hide that. So it's kind of what you see is what you get. Um, and I've uh, who I am has always been very red, and uh, Spinster's very red. So I feel like we've kind of branded ourselves together in a weird way. So um, yeah. Do you think you could ever have different color hair now? Is that or no? Don't? I dyed it once brown, and no one could, no one recognized me. I went <laughs> no, I, I dyed it dark brown like two years ago, and I went to a bar, and my friends didn't recognize me. I was standing right next to them for like ten minutes, and they just did not notice me at all. Um, 
Yeah, I like being a feisty redhead. It gives me an excuse to be all crazy and, and like if I ever do anything chaotic, I'm just like, oh, I'm a redhead. Ah, you know, like it, I, I like it. I, I identify with it like many people do with other things. So as you're speaking, I really think about, you know, there's something going on in, uh, in my mind here about, um, you know, kind of the world we're living in at the moment and, and you know, we're sitting here in a room in Oak Cliff and, and transmitting this out to people watching around the world or maybe up the road. I don't know where they're, yeah. they're, they're watching. It's kind of, you know, knowing yourself and playing to your strengths and and putting your energy out there is something you've talked a lot about. And I think it's kind of necessary in the in the world that we're living in at the moment. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you can only let yourself have a good day. I mean, um, like I was telling you earlier, I kind of loved my, I love my job cause I could come to work depressed and a lot of people don't get that luxury. Um, and it, it's true though. When I, I remember waiting tables and if I was depressed, I had terrible tips. Um, and that poor table, whoever I was waiting on, I probably gave them the worst birthday of their lives. Um, but <laughs> at my work and I'm very peppy, but I do have my off days. I can be depressed. I can put on Elliot Smith for like two hours straight and then some Simon and Garfunkel. And when someone comes in, I, I feel open enough at where I work to talk about it. Not that I'm throwing my depression on them in any way, but like if they're talking to me, I can be so honest with them because I feel like they like that. I like that honesty. I, I feel uncomfortable when um, people have to fake their happiness. I'd rather have them just be themselves and just be honest if they're depressed. And like I was telling you earlier, I feel like uh, you can get away with how depressed you are by how much charisma you have, you know? <laughs> like, like I feel like the higher charisma you have, the more depressed you can act around people and people find it amusing. <laughs> so I like... Um, that kind of work life. I, I feel very grateful for it though. Not everyone can have it. I mean, um, like I was saying earlier about being a teacher, if I was a teacher, I would have to change so many things about my life. I couldn't have as much of an opinion politically like I do. Um, and I would have to be more modest. <laughs> I don't think I could wear a tight, uh, who knows, maybe. Um, but, you know, I would have to change my entire life. So I think where I'm at right now fits who I am. And um, people should just be where they fit in. People shouldn't stay where they're unhappy. I've worked at jobs with people who hate where they work, and I feel so bad for them, and they need to just change it. You know, we see these stats. I was reading some yesterday about you know, kind of sixty percent of the workforce. You know, people would would quit their job and do something oh, else. Yeah. And, you know, although obviously working itself has has got a lot of you know, we kind of need to work to, I think, to have that drive and, and purpose in life anyway. So I want to talk about your Wes Anderson style video because you know you've got uh, oh. there's, a, there's a little <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's just just bizarre. You know, as I was researching. Um, prior to meeting you today just trying to find some interesting things to talk about and there were lots of them and I'm like and now you've got your own kind of I was thinking of Emily for some reason oh, I um, love that movie uh, I wish it was a like movie that about your life and uh, going to the record store how did yeah. that come about um so I know these two fantastic artists in Dallas um Sarah Reyes and Daniel Drinsky so they have this project called Explordinary um, they're a lot like yourselves. They're just trying to find people in Dallas who are um, expressive and involved in the community. And um, 
they found me. So they knew me for a bit and they always kind of, I think they glamorized where I work and what I do. And like I do to other people, <laughs> they had this idea in their head, kind of like, what does Kate do when she's at Spinster when no one's in the shop? Um, and they wanted to make a video out of it. And um, throughout high school, I was also in theater and I've always loved film. I've always glamorized the idea of being an actress, um, though I've never gone full force with it. I've never put in headshots or tried to apply to an agency. Um, 24, too late I know, now. it's too Marshall. late. I'm an old broad now. I'm an old spinster. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, they asked me if I was interested in doing this video and it was kind of on a whim. Within a week, we set up and they cut out these paper cutouts. They have tons of videos. So they have a huge collection of people locally. Um, but I got to be there first, which was really exciting. Um, and we got to shoot in there and they they wrote the script, which I thought was awesome because it was a decently spot on. Um, and yeah, I went to, we went to town on it and they sent it in. And it's been kind of cool because they do these things because they love to create art. Like they would go to a show and shoot pictures of it, not because they're not, not because they're getting paid, because they just want to. And I think that kind of personality type is why they keep getting more and more work and why they keep getting more businesses. And I know recently they worked with Jason Lee and they did a documentary on photography, um, which is uh, just look up Explordinary. Um, also look up Daniel Drinsky and Sarah Reyes. They're in Dallas. Um, but yeah, I think um, that was an honor. I mean, I was overly flattered. I couldn't sleep the night before. I was like, I can't believe I'm gonna have my own little movie, like my own little video. Um, and I think it captured Spinster well. I think my boss was a little worried because you know it starts off with me being bored at work. And <laughs> I think he's thinking, why is Kate bored at Spinster? But I think it's it was quirky and fun. And um, I, I've always been like that. I, I go, with, like I said, I go with my gut. So if someone looked at me and wanted to do a road trip to Austin and I had the money and the time off and I felt good about it, I would go. I mean, pe people should just go with their gut, with people and everything. So, um, so that was fun. And I would love to act more. That'd be interesting. I don't know why I don't do that more. Maybe I'm just intimidated. I think I'm scared that I'll find something great in it and it will just change my life. And then I will be taken away from here. And um, I'm in that in-between period where I'm glamorizing it, but I'm also so content with where I'm at and who I'm around. And my shop, like, Spencer's like my baby, along with everyone I work with. So who would play you in the movie of your own life? Oh, God. Man, if Nicole Kimmon was younger, I love her so much. <laughs> She's up there for me. God, I don't know. I couldn't imagine. I, I've never uh, really related to any actress. I, I love um, older actresses from the past. Like, I always love Rita Hayworth a lot. And, um, oh, my gosh. Oh, Veronica Lake. I love her, too. I hide behind my hair a lot like she does. And, um, actually, um, I, I dated, uh, I used to date this photographer so I used to feel really uncomfortable in front of a camera actually like really nervous and I hated my picture being taken and then he kind of while we were dating off and on for like this year he 
I was like 19. Um, he kind of helped me ease up from the camera because he would use me for his portfolio stuff because he was doing graphic design and learning all this other stuff. And he like kind of taught me like, hey, you need to learn how to pose your body correctly and you need to learn how to look. And, and because I'm half Ukrainian, I don't smile a lot in photos. I think like, <laughs> I don't know what it is about Ukrainian culture, but like you only smile if you sincerely are smiling. Like you don't smile just because someone says cheese. You smile because you're laughing or because you're so happy, you know, and you hit that. Um, um, but um, yeah, man, if I could get someone in my own movie, it'd be an old actress like Rita Hayworth or Veronica Lake. I love those women. They're gorgeous. I, I want to keep going on um, aesthetics and beauty and, and, and romanticism a little bit because, you know, kind of my topic of the week is something um, I finally d discovered, um, Tim Liberect, uh, who wrote The Business Romantics. And, you know, there's this kind of movement in business about um, – making the world a better place by fusing romanticism and art into business. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's a counter trend to commodification or commoditization and globalization and all of these other things, okay, mm. we, which are kind of removing the human element. You know, and a lot of jobs are being automated and things like that. Yeah. But I think there's a need to allow people to um, to do business with passion and and not use meaning just as a way to control people but as a way to get the most out of them and to yeah help the world be a, a better place somehow like myself being a romantic I feel um, I do feel slightly special in where I'm at because I've always lived life very centrally and I've always loved love and I, uh, I've always been a romantic and I've been very um, bold and confident too. I have like no fear how I am with my body and I'm very comfortable around people. So, um, so that's very natural for me. Um, at the same time, I'm also very old fashioned too. Um, I'm decently modest, I'd like to say. Like I, I like to cover up everything. I like jackets. <laughs> um, but... With that being said, I feel like um, working for Spencer has been very lucky as a business brand because I feel like women, like men kind of rule the world in a weird way when you talk about business, but but women are the center of it. And I know that's like, I don't, and I'm not trying to be sexist in any way, or I'm just saying women are kind of the center of it though. Like we, we have such a romanticism about women, women in art, you know, when I look at, at painting, you know, and I love men and I have a boyfriend, but I would prefer to see a naked woman in a painting than a naked man, just personally. Um, but uh, with that being said, I feel like um, any business that has an emotional depiction in it in some sort of way, whatever it grasps onto, um, and for Spinster, I wouldn't say it's just me. I wouldn't use me as my main, the main marketing of Spinster because there's a lot of things that market it. I mean, Nick Nick has his own following of very old men who come in who are, <laughs> who are techies and they are looking for just Nick. They don't want to talk to me. Um, but for me, I mean, I've always treated everything very sensually and I love talking to people. So I guess... Um, it has its own marketing brand, absolutely, like anything else. Um, even with, like, perfume commercials. I mean, like I said, I went to school for marketing. So, I mean, like, when you see a beautiful woman in an advertisement, it does make you want to buy the dress more than it just being on a hanger, you know? Even if they're the woman's technically the hanger, you know? Um, but I feel um, like I've kind of made myself that for spinster in a weird way, um, accidentally, not on purpose. At first it was for my own gain because I just wanted to connect 
and I wanted to meet people online and I did it for the store as well. But you know, I also was trying to kind of find a way for me to feel my fit in the store. And now it's become my own brand where um, it is true. Like when I go to a bar, people know me for that store. They don't know me like on a personal level. They're like, oh, there's a record store chick, you know? <laughs> um, which I'm okay with because I love love the record store. I would hate if I hated the brand. Wouldn't that be awful? Like if I just did not want to be connected to it at all. Um, but well, yeah. that's a lot of people working in the corporate world and, and elsewhere. Yeah. They, they separate um, what you're passionate about and what you believe in from making money or just be, be able to cut. Mine all meshes that. together. I got very lucky. Like the fact that it all meshes together is great. Um, I love that. I, I love I love having people online that I um, that come in and they're buying a record and they saw me like talk about it and that's why they're getting it like that's super cool to me because I feel like my voice matters you know so I never um, I never see it as the sexualization of myself because I'm a woman and I'm younger and I'm on um, someone's computer screen um, but it might be that to someone else. Like a guy might see it, they might be like, oh, she looks pretty cute. I love redheads. And I definitely have had some some interesting people walk into Spinster who have seen me online and it's a little weird. Um, but for the most part, I mean, connecting is all what it's all about. And I think um, as long as your business does it sincerely, I mean, we kind of did it accidentally with me. But I definitely see other brands try to do it with people, and it can be kind of awkward to watch. Um, so it just depends on the person, if they really love what they're into. I mean, um, there's tons of businesses locally that have like their own connection you know, with how they do something. I think to hold power in yourself and who you are and what you stand for, you gotta be very confident. And I think you also need to um, not be scared to uh, use yourself as a vessel for whatever art you're in or what business you're in. Uh, if you have the guts to do it and if you're strong enough to do it and put up with people who might be negative towards you. Um, but to have pride in it, that's it with anything. Like if you do anything, even if you're drunk, <laughs> like just take pride in it and, and, and then people will respect you more. And I think they find it more attractive. I think nothing's more attractive than people who take pride in what they do and have confidence. Very true. And, and talking about drunks, I, I think the um, the cocktail making class is going to be starting up here in, in a little bit. Oh I can my see goodness! I can see them coming in, wheeling in. Uh, so we're down at the at Common Desk at Oak Cliff. So come He's down, got suspenders have a drink on. if you're watching. Say say that we sent you. Let's talk about Dallas um, yes. for a little bit. So I, I I ask all the guests also to explain the heart and soul of Dallas because I think both to, to, to me moving here from somewhere else is a place that you may not necessarily get, be able to comprehend or have a very superficial understanding of when yeah. you first move here. But even as I've discovered, people that have been here for a long time have got vastly different views of Dallas because so, not everybody goes to every single area in Dallas and knows the same people, actually. So so what's the heart and soul of Dallas and how do you explain it? Oh, to, gosh. Um, the weirdest thing about Dallas is the uptown area. Um, I feel like most uptowns and cities are the hip spot. Like when you go to Chicago, going north Chicago, it's cool going north toronto is really hip uh yeah in dallas it's kind of like very um it's actually the stereotype of what i thought dallas would be so it's very bedazzled very plastic very uh southern blonde texas white i don't know like just anything stereotype i, I would think of dallas um 
But I mean, there's so much more behind that. Um, Oak Cliff has a very high Hispanic population. So you get this really, um, I never grew up with that around me, being from Canada and living in the North. Um, I love it. That's why I moved to Oak Cliff initially. I just love that culture. I love the vibe. I love the people. They're really kind. And um, I mean, Deep Ellum has a history behind it, going back to the like 80s and 90s, early 80s and 90s, a huge party spot. Um, it's getting back to that, maybe a bit changed. Um, but I mean, the heart and soul of Dallas, I mean, you have this really interesting city. There's no water. There's no mountains. Um, I'm a nature freak. It's really hard to live here for me some days because the only time I can imagine myself in isolation is if I was hiking or in a kayak on some beautiful lake. Uh, you don't have that here. I just um, I just have to say because I know that one of our former guests, Roland Gilliland, will be will be listening to this and he'll be wanting me to to tell the listeners and viewers again that there's a big forest in South Dallas that people don't know about. Oh, the, which the one? The Trinity Forest. I've heard of that. Yeah, so there's a massive forest um, there. So I think it, we'll end up doing a PR campaign for it here. I've never been there. I've been close to there to, to meet Rollins, and uh, he's certainly a big proponent of it. So, so maybe that's something we should all add to our list. Uh, yeah, I, I and, definitely want to go there. Go and discover. And, and I think they're, they're trying to build a big park yeah in uh around the trinity as well yeah it gets flooded anything they put there i'm always like ah just make sure you expect floods <laughs> i thought of a great idea and i've been meaning to pitch it to the nasher because i think they could pull through on it but it was to bring like a sculpt this is an idea i had when i had a few drinks but i still think it's good the day after so that's how you know it's a good <laughs> idea um but uh to bring in a sculptist because there's all these sculptors who uh, do sculptures for underwater like they'll put them at the bottom of the ocean um there's one guy from japan i can't remember his name right now but um to bring in sculptors to do a sculpture garden throughout there so if the water comes through the statues can still stay so it's not something they have to worry about you know like if they build anything else like a carousel or any buildings just expect it to be gone on an awkward year where it floods through you know um but, but dallas is great dallas has a lot of money in it um which is a good thing it's it's an the mayor the, we have the mayor of pizza i always joke around about that because he's the ceo of pizza hut if i'm right and a lot of people don't know that um which i always thought was really funny when i moved here like you know he's the mayor of pizza and you know, you have to be in charge of some business to become any political figure. Um, but uh, I mean, the city's nice. People are nice here. Uh, it can be intimidating at first because if you meet the wrong people, you go to certain crowds, it can come off a little snooty, southern snootiness. But um, I like the people I found. Uh, I go to Deep Ellum a lot. Um, there's a really cool crowd there. Um, Texas theater, that whole strip, like in that area, um, Dan Bowman, who owns small brew, he's one of the coolest people I've ever met in Dallas. Um, my favorite bar is Lakewood Landing. You just find your little niches. You find your spots. You meet the right people in those spots. And I mean, I'm sure if I moved to Pittsburgh or if I moved to Portland or wherever, I would still find people there that I can relate to. Because we're in a whole new generation where people who live somewhere aren't technically what the area is, you know? Like you're, you're from Australia. I'm from Canada. You know, like we're transplants and you'll find transplants wherever you go. I mean, I went to Marfa last year with my boyfriend and um, we met this guy from New York City who was living in the middle of the desert, you know? And we were expecting this guy to be like Marfa, what we assumed Marfa people to be like, but no, they were all transplants. Everyone there was from New York City or LA and they were working on their art. I mean... I've heard that actually 
people in 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 New York uh, coming out, making pilgrimages out to to yeah. West Texas, and it's a great spot. Everyone should definitely visit there. I drove there in my my little Mini Cooper out from Dallas uh, all the way out to Marfa, and it's a it's worth doing at least once, and it's definitely worth visiting more than once. Yeah, well, it's cool because a lot of people you meet in Dallas, like for the majority of people you meet, they've been to other countries. And um, I think there's this misconception, like when you move to the South, if you're from anywhere else, if you're moving to the South, that for some reason it's going to be uncultured or uneducated. And that's just through the media or through movies, you know, or maybe the past. I don't know. People are hung up on the Civil War or something. Something's weird about that. And people get this idea, maybe because it's in the Bible Belt. But you're in an area that's thriving economically and people can afford to travel. Like mostly everyone I know has been, you know, to Europe or, you know, back to Asia or wherever, you know, and um, friends and family I have in Toronto haven't even left Toronto or haven't left Ontario because they can't afford it. You know, <laughs> they're, they're stuck there. They're, they're kind of stuck in their daily thing. And it's a great city and I love Toronto. It's my home, but they're stuck in their daily, daily job and they can't afford to go anywhere else. Here, you can work, as long as you work hard, you can afford to live and find the right living space and you can afford to travel, which is a huge thing to me culturally. I feel like everyone needs to do that. And everyone you meet here, I would say, is very open-minded. And a lot of people are very tech-savvy, which is really cool. Because like I said, you don't have a beach or mountains. I do you want to visit your friend, friend's woods? <laughs> I would love to go to that. Um, but that's really cool. I, I really love that about the people here. I feel like they're very self-created. Um, and I want to keep them here. I, it sounds crazy. Like I'm trying to keep this bubble happening. But I think it's good to bring it back here. And um, that's what I try to do with Spinster. And I mean, and I like the power to leave. I would hate to be living in New York. Uh, New York City seems cool to live in, but I would hate to live there and be stuck there, you know, where it's like, man, I have to make next month's rent so bad and I can't put any money aside to go anywhere else, you know, um, even though there's all this culture around me. But I like having that power where I can look at Southwest flights and be like, oh, it's 49 bucks to fly to Colorado and I can just get up and go to Colorado because DFW airport goes everywhere. Um, so I think the heart of Dallas is just people who are very self-created, which is really cool. Um, if you can get past like, you know, a decent amount of people who are a little little uh like old school dallas the tv show or something i'm <laughs> um, just big hair blonde and uh, plastic but once you get past that i mean it's very culturally diverse and i really like that a lot there are certainly people here that are still styled after the tv show but i don't think it's the majority of people i think uh present uh, company no. included in people that don't don't look like uh they stepped off the tv show you working on any projects that you want to let the viewers slash listeners know about uh tonight i mean tonight at spinster i'm hosting beats by her uh so that's a feminist music group um they kind of um I love it. They're basically kind of what I do. They just, uh, they help market women in the Dallas area and help push them forward musically, kind of bring them to the spotlight. Um, so they're bringing in one of their DJs. Um, so that's going to happen at the shop from six to eight. Um, other than that, I mean, I've been, I just moved into a house for the first time, which is a wild feeling having space. Finally, I went to an estate sale earlier cause I can actually get stuff now. And, uh, I used to live in like literally a, uh, like a New York sized little studio, like 400 square feet, maybe smaller, like crazy small. Um, so I have this space now. 
Uh, I'm looking to create my own projects. Um, I still work a lot with Sarah Reyes and Daniel Jensky whenever they have something going on, kind of on call for any of their projects because I, I just love everything they do. Um, yeah, I, I, I like being a vessel for other people's projects. Um, there's a painter. I'm about to do some shoots with him. He paints me which is really interesting. Uh, no nudes. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he, his name is Jonathan Davis. He does watercolor. Um, and it's basically, we'll have a few drinks and we'll hang out and he'll tell me what he is envisioning and then I'll be the silhouette for it. He takes a few photos and he'll paint it and then he takes them off to these great art shows. And um, so that's kind of wild. I love doing that on the side. Um, it's kind of weird. It's like the Beowulf complex. It like helps you live forever. Like if you're in someone's art, it's kind of a weird, I think a lot of women kind of glamorize the idea of being a muse to someone. Um, and it's kind of, I, I really am honored to be that person's muse. Um, so um, yeah, I'm doing that. And then uh, Spinster, I'm, I've been working on this project forever, but uh, I want to make a compilation record of local bands. I already have my bands listed out um, and I just need to get in the process of it. I already know the art I want on it, all that stuff. It's just the matter of figuring out the finances, who I want to use. Um, like you said, Hand Drawn Records is in the area. They're fantastic. Um, I love everything they're doing and putting out. There's also Field Day Records. Um, yeah, Dallas has this like monopoly of little underground records and sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's in the making. Um, Spinster Records just pushing more. We're, we're fixing up the store. We're going to reinvent it. It needs a little fixer-upper. It needs a makeup job. Um, yeah, just all that stuff. Anything Dallas Observer throws at me that I can handle. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's about it. I mean, I post everything on Instagram. I'm so open on my social media. I literally keep up with it. I'm just like, this is what's happening in my life. So make sure to post all of the, the links and everything to this um, to the video you'll be able to watch this on yeah. youtube later on but we'll also post all of your instagram yeah and, it's and, and kate's karma for everything basically i don't know why it's kate's karma it was that when i was 17 and i've kept it and i it's funny because now i have a different perspective on karma but I, what goes around comes around so yeah that is the definition of karma isn't it wait a sec what, what's your de what, what's your okay so when i was now? 17 i uh I was going through this phase because I grew up with no religion at all. My parents, uh, very different religions. So they decided not to raise me on any religion. And I ended up being atheist, even though I reached out to different religions, figuring it out and atheism just, you know, that seems right. Um, but I remember being 17 and uh, anytime someone complained, I would joke around. I'm like, oh, that's just karma. Like what goes around comes around. And that's how I always saw it. Kind of like what you put back, what you put out there comes back at you. If you're really negative or if you talk badly about people or if you um, have bad intentions for others, then that's just going to come back at you. And and it it's not, um, and I believe some people get away with things, but I think it's good if you have good intentions for people and you're just trying to help people out and have a good good morality. I mean, it's really funny. A lot of people assume like if you're atheist, you have no moral compass, but um, just, you know, just do good, you know, um, then it'll come back it'll, and it comes in waves and it's shocking like how much it matters. Just little kindness, you know, goes a real far away. Right. We're at that part of the show where we're going to... Uh 
talk about life lessons now. <laughs> life lessons. Life lessons oh, and no. your, 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 your tips because, I don't know, today's been an experiment. So there's people I know that have been watching online and, and then uh, we'll post it and people can look later on. So this is something. But I, I, I think what this show's all, all about is helping people to live better lives and, and maybe make a better world or community or something as a result of it. So I always ask the guests um, about their personal life lessons, what's meaningful to them and that they'd like to share with other people. Um, well, my main one is go with your gut. I know it's, and I hate, um, I don't base everything off my, on my life on intuition. Um, cause I don't know if I quite believe fully in intuition, but I do go with my gut. I don't know. Like if I have a bad feeling about something, I don't go there. And, um, and, uh, I've always followed that. Um, I mean, I feel like if I'm doing something and it makes me feel bad initially, then it's probably bad. And it's so simple. And I feel like people go against it all the time and they just cause themselves more grief. And it's really hard to watch because people know when they're being, people know when they're just like messing up really. And you just need to pull yourself out of it. Um, and supporting others. I, I have this thing I do. Um, whenever I, I hit like these real low points out of nowhere, and I realize it's because I'm so in my own brain, in my own stuff. And I, the best way to get out of it, and I always, it's hard to tell people I know who, who suffer from depression because that's actually like a thing mentally. Like people actually suffer from depression and then other people just say they're depressed, which happens too. Um, I just get depressed sometimes. I, I do not suffer from depression. Um, but sometimes I get in these funks and I realized the easiest way to pull myself out of it is to do, do something for someone else. And it, it's so simple. And sometimes um, maybe it's a millennial issue, <laughs> maybe. Um, but it's good to just um, divert all my energy to someone else and their thing. And I just suddenly feel so much better. And I just, my head is out of my ass and um, I'm helping them with whatever they have going on. And um and that's always helped me out of my funks. I'll get in the lowest funk where I think, and, and I have a great, like I shouldn't, in my head I'm like, I shouldn't be in a funk. Everything's great. I'm so grateful. I have a good life. Like I'm, I'm very lucky. And um, to get myself out of that, I'll just like be like, okay, uh, who's doing what tonight? Does that person need help with something? Or does that person have a project that I can help them with? Or um, can I take this person grocery shopping because they don't have a car? Like just like little things like that will totally set me in a good route. Um, and then if you have the opportunity to travel, always travel. Any opportunity I've had to travel unless I've been kept back by work, I always jump on it and no matter, and if anyone's trying to keep you back from moving or traveling, then they're not good for you. You need to just kind of take any opportunity you can to get out and go do things. Um, or you'll regret it. I don't know. I just, I feel like you'll look back and be like, what would have happened? And that's the worst. I don't know. Nothing. I hate that idea of growing old and wondering, oh, what if I went there? What if I did that? instead of just having gone done it because nothing really changes when you get back like places change but you know everything's always changing so I mean who you are it's just you're in your own bubble might as well like go other places so um yeah I mean that's that's really it it's so simple I feel people overcomplicate life um everything's very simple you just do what makes you happy you find someone who makes you happy um find someone who's good for you too like I'm finally with someone who who really like gets me and we like the same things. We hate the same things, which is even better when you meet someone who just like 
like we both can't stand Elvis Costello and I love that I <laughs> love that so much I, I, I love that though like when he said that I was like this is the one <laughs> like you know this is this is my main squeeze um but yeah I know like you, being with someone though who like kind of fulfills you that's that's the greatest I think that's good advice and I think we're at the end of the show yeah. and and since we're kind of live and some people will be listening to this on a podcast later on and, and uh, they'll be in their own their car <laughs> or doing whatever they do where people yeah. listen to podcasts. So, um, But for people that are watching this live who are in the area, uh, we, we should have said you could stop by and say hello. Yeah. Come by. I think the, the cocktails are almost ready. So I and I'll be at Spinster. I'm going right over to Spinster. Uh, yeah. My, and, and, my living uh, room. Certainly check out Spinster Records. They've got a great selection. Um, and... Have a chat to yeah. Kate. Hello. <laughs> Thank you all. Yeah, thanks to everyone who's been watching online who's probably just this puzzled kind of thing of just two people sitting there. So so this has been episode one of live streaming, episode 21 of the podcast, and we'll see you next time if we can do some more visually interesting things and, and look at you a little bit more. Uh, have and balloons and confetti. Yeah. I wanted the, the, the confetti. I thought that might have been too much just for the first. <laughs> the nature channel, see what's more important. Well, I feel like we should put something on, on TV there like that, uh, how we could just cut over and then we could show some of your videos or like, oh, you know, really classic cool. movies or something like that. And then that would give people something to look at maybe that's uh, that'd be cool so tell us what you want on the podcast too and on, on the live streaming um next time we'll make an effort to to try and tell people in a bit more in advance and oh no this is awesome thank you for having me i've never this is my first podcast ever it, it, it's been a pleasure so we've done double duty and doing the uh, podcast and live streaming at the same time so it's been lovely having you as a guest thank you well that was the last interview for season one of the podcast the next episode will be a wrap-up reflecting on what we've heard and experienced so far this season. I'm also excited to let you know that we're working on several other live events that will give you a chance to meet the guests and some others. The next season of the podcast will be returning soon, so stay tuned. The best way to stay up to date on what's going on is to join the mailing list by visiting www.totallifecomplete.com. That's T-O-T-A-L-L-I-F-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TLcomplete, on Twitter at TLcomplete, and also you can follow me on Twitter at BrettCalTW. All the best.